look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And uh, Faisal, we're going to talk a little bit about real estate. Uh, because we, we know lots of people, lots of clients, lots of people talk to us about either investing in real estate or have invested in real estate in retirement. Um, and, you know, markets in real estate can do what markets do in, in the, you know, the public markets that we deal with. They can move around and change and so on and so forth. Correct. And there's two major categories when it comes to real estate, Dave. There's residential yeah. and then there's commercial real estate. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted to spend some time on the commercial real estate because we know many Canadians yeah. – have businesses, mm-hmm. their owner-occupied uh, commercial real estate piece, pieces, and many Canadians have bought commercial real estate as an investment. Right. And as they approach retirement, they're going through the debate of, should I buy, sell, hold? What do I do with my real estate? Yep. So let's bring in the experts. Sounds good to me. We, we've, we've got, got a great game to, uh, uh, guest today, Shane Melanson. He's the director of Melanson Developments and the host of the Investing Advantage podcast. Shane, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Okay, well, let's uh, maybe let's start high level. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, you know where real estate can uh, can fit mm-hmm. in an investment portfolio? Yeah, well, I think the uh, you know most of the uh, clients that I work with, and, and even for my own personal uh, real estate holdings, if you will, I focus on assets that I have some influence and control over. Right. And so one of the you know, primary uh, benefits, I guess, if you will, for commercial real estate, and so commercial real estate could be an apartment building, strip retail, industrial, is the cash flow that is generated uh, off of that. Uh, you know, when I started investing in, in residential real estate, most of the gains I, I earned were really from market appreciation. And I think you know, if, if your listeners are here in Calgary, you know, that argument is, uh, is much harder to make. But with, you know, cash flowing real estate, uh, you know, it, it, it provides a steady stream of residual income. I don't want to say passive because there's still work that is required, even if you have a professional property manager that oversees it. Um, but, you know, wh- when you look around and you see the people that have done very well, it's usually buying for cash flow, usually some sort of value add component. Maybe that's, you know, vacancy. Maybe you can increase the rents. And, uh, you know, you, you're obviously going to get tax advantages. Uh, it's got scale in the sense that one 50-unit apartment uh, with the right property manager is easier to manage than, you know, even a single-family home for that matter. So, Okay. Um, you know, Faisal, we talk to lots of people. We know um, real estate can be a big ticket item. And mm-hmm. uh, Shane, we'll get your opinion on this. So it can often lead to a, a position where you've got a concentration in, in an area, yeah. right? Got lots of money tied up in there. Given the environment today, and, and maybe let's keep it focused to our Calgary audience, Shane. Just sure. How do you, you know, we're weathering some tough times in Calgary. Uh, maybe yeah. walk us through a little bit about some of the strategies you're seeing for people that are on properties. Maybe some of those people wanted to, to sell it, but it's not a good time to sell right now, right? So cash flowing and those kinds of things. I'd just be interested to hear a little bit about the strategies to get through difficult times. Right. So, you know, part of that is going to be the type of asset that you're in, right? Sure. So if you're in retail, for example, right now, and let's say, you know, you've got tenants that are restaurants or have been forced to close because of, you know, of what's going on in, in the world, 
um, that's going to be a challenge, right? And so there's various strategies that I'm uh, I'm seeing other landlords uh, using, whether it's uh, some sort of a rent relief right now, uh, going back to your banks and saying, look, you know, we've got some some stress, and I need you guys to help me out. And and for the most part, the banks are cooperating. If you've got say um, an apartment building then you might be in a much better situation because, you know, the apartment that we've got in, in Edmonton, sure, there's a little bit of stress, but we're being proactive, right? So instead mm-hmm. of waiting for tenants to come to us uh, and hoping that everything's going to be okay, we go to them, we give them letters, we give them the information. Hey, did you know you can get $2,000 from the federal government? Did you know these plans exist? And we're just being, you know, a lot more um uh, aggressive and uh, not not aggressive in, in a negative sense, but just aggressive right. in the sense that we're going out, having those conversations. How can we help you? Uh, and really just trying to work with them versus kind of putting our head in the sand and, and hoping that, you know, we don't hear from, from a tenant because the reality is there's so much going on in the news. Yeah. And I've heard of uh, situations where landlords have, haven't been proactive and they have a revolt where everybody in the building says, you know what, we don't have to pay rent because, you know, the landlords can't kick us out. Well, that may be misinformation. Uh, so, so just kind of being, uh, I think, proactive is, is uh, just critical. Yeah. Shane, when it comes to people who were planning on retiring in 2020, they said, I'm going to list my property, use that capital to, to, li- to you know, sail in the sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here we are in this situation when people are coming to you saying they want to sell today, what, what should they be aware of? Well, I think the biggest challenge when trying to sell is, is th- there's a couple. So number one, uh, it's going to be very difficult to get bank financing. Uh, the banks are inundated with uh, property owners coming to them asking for some sort of help. And so, you know, for the most part, unless, you, unless you're forced to sell, I would say that it is, it is not a good idea to be selling today. And then if you just think about the buyer psychology, so I'm, a, I'm an investor, I'm a buyer today. When I see a property come out today, I, I immediately think that the seller has some sort of, uh, um, you know, is being forced Stressed. to sell. Yep. And, and, and you just, you know, as a, as a seller, you don't want to put yourself in that kind of situation. So I think that, uh, you know, any of the successful brokers I'm talking with, they're advising their clients don't. You know, if you don't need to sell, then don't. And, and, and frankly, a lot of people own commercial real estate for that kind of residual cash flow. So provided you're able to, you know, continue to, to generate money, um, then, you know, the, the, there really shouldn't be a need or, or high uh, uh, priority to sell today. That would be my advice. Okay, Shane, let's switch gears. We're talking about sure. defense. Let's play some offense here. There's got to be some yeah. opportunity in a market like this. Um, yeah. And lots of people, you know, like having physical real estate they can touch bricks and mortar bricks and mortar right so what should you be looking for if you're an investor in real estate right now so the the some of the things that i'm looking for and and what uh what i think would would make the most sense are where do you where where do you think the market's going to be in the next five to ten years and so it's challenging to know what's going to happen in say retail i think that that's that's uh you know there's going to be certain uh, retail that that you can kind of clearly see will still be around because it's going to be harder to replace with say uh, e-commerce or Amazon. Yep. Um, but what I would say is, you know, multifamily uh, people need a place to live. You've got a lot of uh, uh, demographics that are driving that, whether it's millennials or baby boomers. Uh, so I think that that's fairly 
uh, I don't want to say safe in, in the sense, but I think that you can kind of, you know, get behind a strategy like that. And I think that you're going to start to see um, a higher uh, use for industrial and the last mm-hmm. mile. And so, you know, those are two asset classes that I like. With respect to playing offense, uh, I think right now it's, it's great to be having conversations with brokers because uh, the agents that are out there right now, uh, they still need to, to make money. And uh, they're having more and more uh, conversations that maybe they wouldn't have had because, frankly, they were too busy closing deals. And if a broker or, or an agent knows that you are looking, um, you know, if, if you're new to commercial real estate, for example, I think that, that you're going to get their attention. And, and I think one of the misconceptions is, you know, in commercial real estate, it is very relationship driven. And so if right. you don't have those relationships, now you can start to build those. Uh, because, like I said, I think that you're going to you're going to start to see agents that have a little bit more time, and uh, you know, and, and if you're uh, a credible buyer, uh, they will certainly give you the time to you know to to run through some of the opportunities they have. Shane, we have 30 seconds before we have to go to commercial break. Give us some numbers. I'm a numbers guy, so what kind of what kind of yield or cash flow rate of return are are those two top two picks that you have? What can you expect? What's a reasonable expectation in the Calgary area? I think right now, if you're going in with a 6% cash on cash, that is realistic. And then if you've got some sort of a value-add component, you can push that to 8 to 10%. Uh, I think that those are uh, reasonable expectations. And as the market deteriorates, you might even be able to push that higher. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good advice. Shane, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you taking some time and sharing some insights in, in this space. Yeah, I, uh, I, I had a great time with you guys, and uh, hopefully it was helpful. We'll keep in touch, you bet. Been joined by Shane Mellinson, Director of Mellinson Developments, and also the host of the Investing Advantage podcast. Be sure to download that if you're interested in in real estate. Um, Okay, my friend, this is a total wealth conversation. Real estate, stocks, bonds, land, closely held businesses, whatever the mix is. How does it all fit in your retirement? And then how do you start to draw on all these different pools of money so you can have the lifestyle you want in retirement? We're going to discuss that On Tuesday, August 25th, 7 p.m., live online, go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. There's a common tax form mistake that could cost one taxpayer millions of dollars. Stick around so that you don't make the same mistake. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? Hello, Faisal. I'm doing well. How about you? Long weekend. I'm thinking about uh, four letters. D uh, to start with, yeah, I was going to say with D and end with E B T. Yeah. Holy cow! Does that mean you're going to have an expensive long weekend? No, no. That means I'm concerned that we have a lot of debt on our on our books now at, as a country, and we have no plan, no idea, no no hint of how we're going to pay for this. Andrew and I were were talking that there was about thirty five thousand dollars per Canadian that they owe yep. to pay off this debt. Yep. Holy cow! And potentially growing. I've got two young daughters, and they already got $70,000 of debt. Yep. How are we going to pay this? So I, I think there's a number out there that that we need to hear in yes. this country. And I think that number needs to be said over and over again so people understand. I would not be surprised if we see the $1 trillion mark in Canada. Are you talking combined or are you talking combined. fiscal? Yeah. Combined. Well, I think we'd be getting close to that now, my friend. I, I, the, with the liquidity the, the Bank of Canada has provided, it's probably a half a trillion dollars right there. 
Yeah, right? so they've I, committed I, to that. I, I don't know if they've, they've deployed it all. Correct. Right? So I, I can see one trillion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think your number is uh, unfortunately achievable. So how do you pay for all that? Right. Especially when we we're not the reserve currency of the world. Right. You know, the demand for Canadian dollars is not globally accepted as the currency to go after. Right. Now Canada has approached it a little bit differently than the U.S. as an example, uh, in the sense that the U.S. has given a lot of money away. It's forgivable, done. Canada's a lot of deferral stuff. Yeah. Right? Now, we'll see if that works, right? So if you had deferral on paying taxes or interest rate deferrals and so on and so forth, and you get to that point where you now you can't pay it six months from now, yeah. right? To your point, there might have to be more done here or forgiven or whatever the case may be. Which turns into a debt payment. That's correct. It turns into a debt payment. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, it's academically very interesting. Scary for yep. lots of people, right? And uncertainty will create volatility. Okay. I would love for our governments just to tell us, this is what we expect to happen, right. and, and, and really gross it up. Mm-hmm. Like, really overestimate that this could be the worst-case scenario, and here's the three things we're going to do to help pay this thing down. Right. Just do that to keep me quiet so I know what I'm dealing with versus I have no idea, or I'm not going to answer the question of how much debt that we have or anything like that. That was just You can't avoid, yeah, avoiding the questions, bad form in all cases, right? Correct. You just want some level of transparency. You can say... I think it's acceptable to say, listen, this is an evolving situation, yeah. right? This is what we anticipate. And they have said, you know, if we have to, we'll continue to do more. But avoiding the question altogether, yeah, yeah, bad form. They talk more about wearing masks than they do about, yeah. about how they're going to handle the financial situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Right? Um, so, so let me ask you this. Yeah. During the week, mm-hmm. um, you've been talking to clients sure. of ours. You've been, you've been having that, that dialogue. Um, Last week when we talked about this, there was a whole bunch of questions. What kind of questions are they asking you this week? It's a big, fat void of questions <laughs> right now. That's what's interesting to me because I, you know, we often think about what, what was the commonality or the common theme amongst the conversations we had through the course of the week, and there wasn't, there wasn't anything new. There, yeah. there, there weren't even a lot of questions, right? It yeah. was um, people of, we're at that weird inflection point, I think, Faisal, where we're, you know, people have, the shock is gone. We most most people I think accept this is gonna be with us for a while. Yep. Right? They understand we're slowly opening. Yeah. But we're we're marching forward, not backwards. Yeah. And right? I think our growth bucket and the performance being in positive territory year to date yep. has a lot to do with that too. Oh for sure. And I think um when when individuals see that their portfolio is not down but the markets are down year to date, that gives them a sense of comfort in mm-hmm. the growth side. Mm-hmm. Income has no problem whatsoever. Um I think that's been part of the the big benefit for for this, uh, because if it was down, you know, double digits like the uh, markets are, yeah. um, it'd be a different be a, conversation. I think. Yeah, you're right. The fear would still be there. Like yeah. right now, they're wondering where are we headed to. Right. And if your portfolio is down and where we're headed to, that's even more concern. Right. When your portfolio is positive, and you don't know where you're headed to, you kind of have a bit more comfort. Yeah, it, it it does take some of the uncertainty that away. That's a that's a fair comment. But it was the absence of of really. And it, no, I'm fine. You know. Yeah. yeah. No, things are good. Right. I'm just doing. The conversation was more around what they were doing personally. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, that's good. Probably, uh, you know, for many of the reasons you just talked about. Yeah. Some of it is we've adapted, right, yeah. to the to the new normal that we're at, right? Um, but that was the takeaway for me for the week, right? So I was on a webinar that I was uh, a guest speaker on. Yeah. Um, let's call it 1,000 to 1,500 people across the country yeah. attended this webinar. Um, and the moderator 
had multiple questions sent to her saying, how do I structure myself uh, yeah. going forward? So these are not our clients. Right. These are just the general public. And yep. it's, it's always nice to get an gauge of what the general public concerns are. Um, and so in there was, how do I structure and get ready for retirement? Mm-hmm. These are 45 to 55-year-olds, 60-year-olds saying, you know, I'm getting close. Right. It's coming. So how do I structure it? And so it's amazing to me how many people who, A, feel that they can do everything on their own. And so when I went through, and that was one were of the- these a, were, there, were there a bunch of do-it-yourself investors? And I don't know the makeup of the audience. I was just Sense speaking. From the questions? From the questions, okay. you can kind of get, get yep. the gauge of right. that there are people that are trying to do everything themselves. Okay. And yep. so when, they, when, when the question was posed to me of how do you structure it, mm-hmm. The question was really talking about the investment portfolio. Right. But they were saying, how do I structure my myself for retirement? And they were referring to the portfolio. Okay. And I kind of went a bit more broader first and then narrowed it down to the portfolio. Right. And I said, when you choose to be your own chief financial officer of your family, yep. you first have to do the retirement plan. Right. The financial calculation to determine where you are today, where you want to be when you retire, how much cash flow you need, and what is it going to look like using a conservative rate of return in your analysis. Right. So that's number one. So you have to do that if you're going to be your own chief financial officer of your family. Then you have to understand the tax rules. Because as you withdraw through retirement, each pool of money, registered money, tax-free, non-registered, corporate money all have different tax treatments. Okay, so now you got to be you got to be a tax accountant too. You yep. got to have you got to have either you got to pay somebody to do that. Right. Or you got to know yep. the process. Yep. Okay, so that's number 2. Yep. Number 3 is you need to be an economist as well and forecast the future of the economy yes. and give your probabilities to everything. And I yep. kept on focusing on best case scenarios, worst case scenarios, and what's your base case given the data that you yep. have. Yep. And then it went down to how are you going to manage the portfolio to reach those goals? So now you're a chief investment officer. Now well. you're also in, being in charge of your, your investments. Yep. Now, there, I can tell you that there are, there are Canadians who will you know, do their own investment portfolio, but then go to an accountant to get their taxes done, yep. but not have a conversation about tax planning and withdrawal strategy. Right. Or they will get their legal work done with a lawyer, but not have a, co- a collaborative approach with how does it work with tax? How does it work with my portfolio? Right. Meaning do- if there's a transition of assets, Correct. how is that going to be done most effectively? Right? Correct. Right. And so when you take on that responsibility of doing all of that, the moderator came back to me and said, wow, I never knew it was so much to do to take care of your retirement. And I said, well, what will be the alternative? Just take care of your investments, cross your fingers, and hope everything works out. Right. Do you want to put your retirement at the viewpoint of hope? Yeah. yeah. Why? Why not put high probabilities on your side? So I think you, you, you did that group of people a tremendous service. Um, if, you, if you walked through it like that, um, you know, here are the different expertises. That's a word. Um, it is now. It is now. Okay. Uh, required. Yeah. In order to get a full retirement plan done, right? It's not just a financial plan. It's not just an investment portfolio. It's not just preparing and filing your tax returns. It's not just having a will written up. It's the interconnection between all of those things and that overriding strategy. And we didn't even talk about health. 
Yeah. Like the health <laughs> issue. And anybody in Calgary knows mm. that you're now going to be more picky of what kind of long-term care facility you want. Yep. Everybody in Calgary will now know that maybe you want some kind of different quality of care. And so how are you going to pay for that? Yeah. Everybody service? across Canada, not just Calgary. Right. Everybody across Canada is clear on this point. Right? For sure. Yeah. For sure. So these are the things that, you know, it, it's a bigger picture. You can do it all yep. if you have the skill and the will to do it. Yep. And so it's possible. I just think there's not too many Canadians who either have the skill and the will to do it. Well, yeah, just do an assessment, right? I mean, think critically through that. Yeah. And, and the fear, right, the fear of retirement comes from the uncertainty. Correct. Right? And so, if listen, if you do that and you don't have the skills to do the job, then hire somebody. Yeah. Right? That's why people had jobs because they had an expertise, right, to provide a, a, a service. A service. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's wrap it up. All uh, right. What about the seminar? And that is Tuesday, August 25th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. So how could real estate be part of your retirement financial picture? Stick around after the break. You're on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. Your favorite topic, my friend, is tax. Taxes. Oh, you mean when it comes to the financial world? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And not overpaying, and then making sure you're filing properly, because if you don't, there can be some problems. There were there were many cases in the last, call it ten years, where taxpayers have made some errors. Maybe in some cases they've omitted or forgot stuff, and then CRA comes back and says you've made a mistake, and they have to start making payments or interest yeah, and penalties. penalties and so. yeah. But this one caught our attention. Yeah, This is something that many listeners can learn from on what went wrong. And really, at the end of the day, who's responsible? Yes. That's the key lesson here. Right? So let's figure out this situation. This We'll call it a case. And understand what came out of it from the courts. Yep. We've got Jamie Golombek, Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Private Wealth Management. Jamie, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Okay. Let's start off with the case. Let's, let's kind of give people some background before we go right into the details of this case. This case involves a tax document called a T-5008. Now, that gets some people excited when they hear those kind of numbers and letters getting put together. Most Canadians have no idea what the heck that is. Uh, give us some background on what T-5008 is. Yeah, so this slip's been around for decades. Uh, it's not well known. Uh, the T-5008 slip um, is essentially a, a form that reports all the dispositions of securities that you had during the year. So, for example, if you sold uh, units of a mutual fund or if you sold shares, and, and this, of course, this applies only to a non-registered account in which there could be a tax bill when, on the sale of, of property, um, then a copy of this form is sent to you as the individual who needs to report it on their tax return, and an electronic copy is also filed with the CRA. So in other words, just like we get T4 slips for employment income or T5 slips for investment income or T3 slips from mutual funds, um, we also get a T5008 slip that shows all the securities that we've disposed of in a particular year, and then we have an obligation to report those on our tax return. CRA is checking because they are getting a digital electronic copy and they can eventually match it up in a matching process and see if you've fully reported all your dispositions and, of course, any capital gains arising from those. 
So let's go into the case. What was the story when it came out to this taxpayer who ended up owing $4.1 million in taxes? Well, it is one of the strangest cases I've ever read because this is actually not a tax case. It is not through the Tax Code of Canada. This was a civil case. It was an Ontario civil case where the taxpayer sued his broker, which in ca- which case was Tito Waterhouse. And what happened was, and again, very, very unusual case. I've never seen a case like this in my, my entire uh, tax career. Is he had a client that was basically a client of the discount brokerage. So discount brokerage means no advice, right? So you do everything on your own. Um, he was doing some high volume trading back in 2009. And at the end of the year, TD issued uh, a number of T5008 slips uh, reporting all of his dispositions. Now, back in 2009, it was common practice. In fact, it was until even a year or two ago that on the T5008, all they reported was the dispositions and the gross proceeds that a taxpayer received. So for years, uh, most of the financial services industry left the adjusted cost base or the book cost blank. Uh, simply because they weren't sure what it really was, if the securities were transferred from another account, it was uncertain. So, you know, for years, the industry practice was to, to leave it uh, as zero, and that was very, very common. So what happened was, of course, is the T5008s were filed electronically, and uh, he had massive losses. Like, he didn't do well from his online trading. So effectively, uh, what happened was he decided, in conjunction with some advice he got, which I think was misguided, uh, he didn't declare anything on his return. Because basically he said, I've got losses, I can't use them anyway because capital losses can only be used against capital gains. I'm simply not going to report them. He didn't report them. CRA comes back and audits them, and they take the proceeds because they don't have the cost, and they assess his income at $5.2 million, and then assess his taxes and interest and penalties. The total was $4.1 million. The reality was, though, that he actually had only losses, and his employment income was just under $10,000. So... Uh, of course, what happened eventually he had to, uh, you know, settle with the CRA and he got it all straightened out. Uh, he showed that, in fact, he did have uh, ACB uh, cost based on those shares and they, they dismissed all the tax. In the meantime, of course, he lost his job, he had enormous stress and it was a big problem. So he tried to sue uh, the brokerage for saying you didn't correctly report the amounts. Now, one thing we should add is that even in those days, they always issued a separate statement to the client uh, with all the dispositions. They called it the T5008 report, and they issued it to the client, which actually did fill in all the book values, and that could be used to report it. So at the end of the day, of course, he lost the case. No surprise, surprise. Um, today, depending on who you use, uh, it's pretty common that uh, most uh, brokerage firms, I think including uh, CIBC, uh, does try to report the book value when it's known uh, on the T5008, so that hopefully this won't be an issue. But it's still important to remember, and this is the message that I tell people about the case, which is, again, very unusual, that they must report all their capital gains every single year. And in fact, even a capital loss, you should report so that you can, of course, claim it in a future year. At the end of the day, did the courts not say the responsibility of proving the cost base and the disposition still lies in the hands of the client, not the financial institution, and in this case, TD? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So at the end of the day, in Canada, of course, as we've talked about many times on the show, uh, the Canadian system is one of honesty and self-reporting. We have a self-assessment system. If you dispose of something during the year, you have an obligation to file a tax return and report the gain or loss on that, even if it's a loss. So 
That's the requirement. Disposal of capital property requires the filing of return. It is a self-assessment system. The T5 designation just acts as a background check. I mean, same thing. If you claim that you didn't get your T4 from your employer, uh, it doesn't mean you don't file a return and don't declare the income. Uh, you still have an obligation. You earn the income. You receive the income. You've got to report it, even if you never received the slip. So very, very important lesson from the case. Now, in this case, the, the individual did not file an income tax return on these these losses um, and had to go through a whole bunch of work. That was given about, on advice by his accountant, I believe, according to the case. That's correct. That's right. So I think that was uh, poor advice. And so when it comes to working with an accountant, what kind of information should you provide? Because I find in my, in my experience, Dave, you can jump mm-hmm. in here, that many uh, of our clients' accountants will simply just take the information, input it as a, a for filing purposes, and that's it. There's right. no checks to make sure everything is accurate. Right. Yeah, any logic test against what, is this right? Or are we missing something? Correct. Right. And so at what point does the accountant need to speak with the client? And at what point does the client need to either speak to the brokerage or the accountant to say, let's double check everything to make sure these numbers are right? Well, I think the client has the ultimate responsibility to check their return. There have been other cases we've talked about over the years where clients, you know, hire an accountant, the return is complicated. They just sign on the last page and they send it in. And, uh, oh, they claim, I didn't know what I was signing. I was told to sign here. Uh, That doesn't fly. So at the end of the day, you really have to be responsible for what's in your return. I tell everyone that they should know where every number is coming from. So if you see a number on page one, page two, page three, you've got to know where it's coming from. Does it make sense? Is it reasonable? At the end of the day, this is the taxpayer's responsibility. Uh, hopefully the accountant is doing a good job, but the ultimate responsibility is of the taxpayer. We have to leave it there, Jamie. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. I've been joined by Jamie Golenbeck, Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning, CIBC Wealth Management. Always good information. Taxes um, can be very complicated. Right. And so on the one hand, uh, you know, most people aren't tax accountants, but you have to be to some degree. Right. Or you have to be curious enough to, as Jamie said, understand what's on each of those lines, because ultimately tax is going to be one of the biggest single line items that you're going to have to deal with in retirement. That can impact retirement lifestyle. It will erode your money over your retirement. And so not only understanding where the numbers are, but knowing how to minimize tax and the strategies behind that. We're going to discuss that. At our webinar on Tuesday, August 25th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. What's the most important part of retirement planning? We'll talk about that after the break. You're on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, I had a really interesting week. I said that at the top. Uh, and, and partly it was because some of the conversations I had with various individuals. Uh, and so and, and you had similar experience, yeah. right? So it, it's interesting to talk about. I want to see if, if I can make this interesting and we can draw a connection because I don't think these things that I'm going to talk about necessarily at a high level seem to be connected. Most people don't do it this way when they're, when they're talking about their retirement. Right. I spoke with a, um, a gal this week who's gone in and just new into retirement and uh, lost her husband within the last 12 months and uh, was wanting to make a change. And I have to tell you... Wanting to come to us. Yeah, Yeah. wanting to make a change in in, in investment practice advisors. Um, 
And not, not because the previous advisor did, didn't do a good job of investments, okay? Um, so I wanna talk a little bit about, about that because I think it's a really important piece to the, to the overall bit. But, but here's the second conversation I had and I was quite struck by it. I had another conversation with a, with a client. This happened to do with paperwork. And you know, given all the, the money that's being printed, tax is top of mind for a lot of people. And so he was quite concerned on some of the paperwork it wanted to know how much could be shared with the government for fear that the government is going to know how much he had and going to come after him and all of these things, okay? Sure. Um, those two things at a high level are not connected. Sure. Okay? But when, we were, when I was digging down in both cases, I think they are, they are principally the same thing. Okay. Okay? And this goes, this goes to managing lifestyle, not managing money. And so I, I, I was thinking this week, and here was what was interesting to me. I was thinking this week about the business that we're in. Mm-hmm. What, what is our business? Is our business investment management? Is it wealth management? Mm-hmm. Or is it the human journey of people transitioning to or living in retirement? Yeah, yes, yes, and yes. Right? <laughs> and what's most important? Yeah, the journey. It's the journey. Yeah. And so, so and you can chime in because I know you had an interesting, um, some interesting conversations as well. But as I was dealing with these, these sort of what appeared to be at, at a high level very different streams, um, with the gal I was chatting with, it became apparent very quickly because she was quite emotional that that what she was missing in the engagement uh, because the the numbers were good, right? The the performance numbers the per- of the portfolio, yeah, and, okay. um, and and she would be first to say that and everything was good, okay, but she was very vulnerable, right? A lot of fear given all of the change, like her basic foundation of safety and security has been shaken. Um, in two different ways, right? This, this uncertainty of transition and retirement then losing her partner, yeah. losing her husband right away. So it was the conversation I had with her really didn't have much to do with investment management. Mm. It had to do with the fear of the uncertainty and the change, yeah. right? So recognize that there's a, a journey taking place here and that journey when we go through a major transition involves a lot of change. And the same happened with this other gen. It was a very different topic we started on, yeah. right? But it's the fear of my ability to be able to live out the retirement that I want, transition assets to the kids, other you know beneficiaries, it, it was the fear, the uncertainty around what might be coming as a result of these changes. Yeah, and so it spoke to again journey, right? So on one hand, I'm talking about paperwork and administration. On the other hand, we're talking about the loss of a of a loved one, and ultimately, the end we end up in the same place in terms of What's a conversation and communication. Yeah, it, it's it it's it's. With this, with this female client of ours that met with you, mm. the conversation of, that she had with her advisor previously was next to nothing. It was technical. It was very focused on the investments. Yep. And that wasn't her area of interest. And we've had this many a times. Oh, yeah. I have seen, Dave, people, one of the two of the couples sit in front of us, turn their head around, not look at us when we start getting into the portfolio and then we kind of light bulb turns on and then we start talking about the bigger picture, right. the things that are important to that individual. Yeah, how's it impacted grandkids and you know all these things. Yeah, when you the are dealing with a family lifestyle, when are you dealing with a family situation, the word family, meaning both parties have to come to the table. And if you all you speak about is investments... And that's not what the directive or the journey that both parties want. Mm. You're going to lose one of them. Mm-hmm. 
and you miss out on 50%, maybe even more, depending on who that person is and the influence that person brings into the, into the couple for making decisions, what happens? How do you plan a strategy? How do you plan for the long term when one member's either mentally or physically not there? Right. Right. And I had the similar conversation yep. Yep. where every opportunity we've had to have the, in this case, the wife just come in and meet with us. Let's have a conversation was no. Right. I, I don't have time. It's not a priority. Um, later. Then comes this COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. Husband's freaking out. And the husband says, I need to make sure everything is okay. And my question to them is, tell me your responsibilities individually on the finances of the family. And you should have just seen his face. Like I asked him a question that no one's ever asked him before. Right. And he's like, well, I think I pay X percent of the of the household um, expense and she pays Y. So the minute someone says think, that means they haven't had a conversation. There's no clarity. So then what is the number? Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, I don't know. Have you guys had this conversation? No. What are the expectations of each of you? Are right. you expecting that, right. that your partner pays a certain amount? Well, no, not really. Is she? Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. shouldn't you have that conversation? Yeah. Shouldn't there be a... Yeah. And then have that conversation. And if you need someone to facilitate that conversation, I'd be happy to do that. And let's figure out what the strategy on how we handle our finances right. for, the, for the couple. Then we can build a plan. In support of the lifestyle. Correct. In support of the lifestyle. With the highest probability so that both of you can reach your goals. <clears throat> I don't care, honestly, no. if people merge all their money together and they live under one under one bank account. Right. They have separate accounts and they do their separate thing. There's a ratio spending, X percent to him, Y percent to her. I don't care how you guys figure it out. Right. Just have an agreement right. and make sure you're all clear on that agreement so we can build a proper plan with highest probability so you can reach your goals your lifestyle, yeah. the things that you're afraid of, we can eliminate those problems along the way. And I, I get, I get, I get, it gets harder in my job when one partner's not having communication with the other, or with us, because we or don't know us. what their goals, so, dreams, and fears are. So when our client doesn't want to tell you about their total assets and yeah. their net worth, right. Because they're afraid of the government. Well, how am I supposed to do my job if I don't know your total picture? Right. So that was interesting just to bring it back to that because I, I, I didn't mention that earlier. But one of the conversations we had says that there's a, a, an area about total net worth. He was concerned again about disclosure to the government. But he, but he said to me, Dave, you don't need to know that. And I said, contraire, mon frere. Wow. Right? That's a very French of you. Very French. Yeah. Um, but I said, hang on a second. Ten years ago, ten years ago, you know. That may be true. In fact, it may be true today. But I said, if I don't know that information, yeah. what is the implication of me not knowing it? Right? Is your expectation that I'm just going to sell you financial products? Because our industry has done a lot of that over the years. Yeah. Right? Or is the expectation that I'm going to help, um, I don't like to use the word manage here, help manage the, the, the lifestyle to a goal, right? Help ensure that we're not exposing you to a risk we unintentionally. We coach, we manage. We work with you side by side. I'm on your team. Yeah. I'm on your team. Right. Withholding pertinent information for me to do my job 
is a problem. Yeah, but it, but it, it it's a total problem, and it indicated a gap. And I think as an industry, we could do a lot better job. But as consumers of of financial advice, not financial products, but financial advice, there's yeah. a different mindset here, right? What am I trying to get from the team I'm working yeah. for, right? And it and it struck me again. It started really very um, uh, poignantly with with the experience I had with this gal and it was a reminder and I set a note out to our team in particular about this because uh, I was struck by it again. We're not in the business of managing money. Don't get me wrong. That's an important piece of what we do. That's not our business though. Our business is about adding value in that journey that people are taking into and through retirement, retirement. and yeah. what is it they want to experience and their family dynamic and all of those things. And if we, if we lose focus on that, then we start talking about stocks and bonds, Right. If we lose focus on that, we miss we miss asking pertinent yeah. questions about how the dynamic of the family works. How many times have we asked questions to clients and they go, "Wow, no one's ever asked me that before. Right. Why is that important?" And you walk them through how it fits their overall goals, financial plan. Oh, wow! I'm glad you asked that question. Right? You mean no one's ever asked? You guys don't even ask the question amongst yourselves. Cool. Right. We do this all the time. Right. But no one has asked that question from your previous advisors that you've had. Right. No. Well. That's why you're with us. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and so riffing a little bit on the industry too, we got off our game, right? You got we got to decide what business we're going to be in. And and listen, I guess there are financial product salespeople that are necessary, and yeah, and, that, and that's just their job. That, that's just there right. to provide a product. That's exactly right. Our, but that's, our job, when you especially when you transition to retirement, yeah. especially when you have a death of a spouse and you're you're doing things differently, you're right. doing it on your transitioning away from that right. into something your new normal. Yep. Well, you need a transition specialist, right? And a team that works with you because that way you have every angle covered and you can enjoy the journey going forward. Let's wrap it up, my friend. We got to talk about all this stuff. Yeah. How does it all fit together? We call it asset dedication or bulletproofing your retirement. We'll tell you how to do that on Tuesday, August 25th, 7 p.m. live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, that wraps up another uh, terrific show. Uh, thank you for joining us on More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We look forward to speaking with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada.
Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.